You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. Last week I started a, a message, um, I spoke a message, it was called, If Jesus Had a Church Today. If Jesus Had a Church Today. Last week I talked about if Jesus had a church today, uh, Jesus would initiate contact with those that are different. We see different people all around us. We, we see Jesus in, in, in engaging and initiating a conversation, uh, communication with this woman at the well. We read this, the story of the woman at the well last week, and, and we talked about the differences is, uh, between the Jews and the Samaritans at this time and, and the tensions that they were living under, and even to the point of hate. And so Jesus asks this woman for a drink, and her answer is basically, why are you talking to me? You're a, Jew, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. We don't mix. We're not supposed to be together. In other words, you're different than I am, and we have differences. Therefore, since we have differences, you ought to not be talking to me. And we talked about, and we unpacked this, that what, what do we do and how do we treat people that are different than we are? How do we treat people that come through our doors of the church or, or, or just in general? How do we treat them when we see that they're different? We see that they look, think, act, talk. They're, they're just different than we are. And so G- we see that Jesus initiated these kinds of people. And so if Jesus had a church today and that's the church that we're trying to model ourselves after, we ought to be people that initiate conversation and connection with people that are just different than we are. Because the fact of the matter is you don't know it all and neither do I. And I need your part and you need my part, regardless if we're different or not. Amen? The second thing that uh, we talked about and discovered last week was this, that If Jesus had a church today, he simply wouldn't accept people in their differences. He would welcome them in their differences. And we talked about how lots of people are are led into the church or lots of people, the doors are open for them to come to the church or come into a church, but do they feel welcomed? I asked the question, what would it be like if people knew that when they came through our doors that we would miss them if they didn't show up the week after? What would that do to someone's soul? What would that do to someone's expectation? What would it do to someone's uh, trust and hope in humanity if people actually knew that even though they are different, they are still completely welcome and we'd actually miss them if they didn't show up again? And so we're talking about what, what Jesus' church would look like and the reason for that is we're simply just preparing ourselves to be the kind of church that Jesus had in mind all along. Because if there's a church to build, I think it ought to be the church that Jesus would build. I don't know about you. That's just my opinion. That's what I want to build, and that's what I want to go after. So before we go too far, I just want to pray. Just ask God just to continue to do what he's doing. Father, I pray that that you would just continue. I pray that you would come in a mighty and a beautiful way. Where two or more gathered, Lord, your word says that you are there in our midst. Yeah, Holy Spirit, I pray that you you would open our eyes of understanding and our ears to hear that as the word is spoken and, and as simple as it may be, Father, I pray that it is, it is deep penetrating, Father. I pray that we would take everything that you say in your scriptures and we would take them to heart and we would, we would put them in place, God. I ask you, Father, just to open the eyes of our understanding, lead us into the truth, God. Your word says that you have no greater joy than to know that your children walk in the truth. And so I pray that we are children of truth, We seek the truth, we desire the truth, 
and the truth is ours because we have access to the word. And so I pray, Father, that you would just do all that you're so good at. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna continue in this today, and uh, I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter three with me. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's gonna be up here on the screen. It says this, uh, th- and this kinda is a little bit stout, so we'll have to blame Paul. He wrote it, uh, inspired by the Spirit of God. So it says, "Mark, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Verse six, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of deprived minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not, grow, but they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, their folly would come clear to everyone. Paul is spitting some fire on these people. Keep reading in verse 10. It says, You, however, know all of my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from, those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every good work. So that is the text that we're gonna revisit and that's the text we're gonna kind of hone in on. But before we go too far into the text, I wanna ask a question. Are there any outdoorsy type of people in the room? You like to be outdoors? There's a few. Some of you are like, nah, stay in the house with my cat. Sorry, it just happened. <laughs> if you have a cat, I have no offense. If you're different than me, it's fine. I, I'll initiate and I'll have all the conversations and all the things. I love the outdoors. Uh, my favorite thing to do in the outdoors is I, I love hunting, but specifically I love when I have the opportunity. Let me rephrase this. I like, I feel like my wife is looking at me. She's like, you're not supposed to love things. You love God and you love people. I like, she was giving me those eyes. Calm them down. I like hunting, but I like hunting in the mountains. It's challenging because of the elevation. It's challenging because of the terrain, uh, and we're not obviously in the mountains out here. Uh, it's, it's a little risky because at night, you start thinking, what is really out there? Like twigs start breaking, and you're thinking that Sasquatch is actually a real thing, <laughs> and that UFOs are actually landing. 
all the things come alive at night in the woods, in the mountains, and so it's risky. It's one of the most freeing and one of the most like spiritual things that I feel like I get to do. There's something about like being able to put everything that I need in a backpack for seven days, putting boots on my feet, grabbing a bow and arrow, and literally going upon hundreds of thousands of acres and walking until my legs can't take me any further. It just does something to my soul. I believe it's godly. I believe that he is there. And so in 2016, I got the opportunity to go on my, like, my first actual like, out west elk hunt. And uh, I had trained all year for it. The guy that went with me did not train all year. He didn't train all week before or all the next day. I don't think he did anything, which is fine. And um, it was fine until, you ever, been in, have you ever been in one of these kind of situations where you're looking at a map and things look different on a map than they do in real life? And that can get you in trouble in the mountains, FYI. So a friend of mine had showed us this spot on a map and he's like, man, you ought to go here. I camped here, I hiked in there every single day and I found elk in this spot. And so we're looking at a map and I'm like, that looks, looks like perfect spot. Well, he's like a mountain goat, and I'm not a mountain goat. He can go anywhere that he wants to go. We cannot sometimes go everywhere that we want to go, me and the guy that I went with. So we, we start out at 9,200 feet of elevation, which is a lot, further, a lot higher than what we live here. We're like 2,800. And we're supposed to be camping at 11,200 feet, so another 2,000 feet. What I didn't know on the map was that that 2,000 vertical feet of elevation was only in a distance of about a mile and three quarters, which means that we were going almost straight up. What was even worse of a rookie mistake is that if we would have just walked about three miles to the east, we could have took a trail. <laughs> but we didn't, because we didn't have a point of reference until we got there. So we start hiking, and this buddy of mine, he is, he is in suffer mode bad. Like, I'm thinking I'm going to, we're just going to have to, he, at one point he goes, can we just side hill until we find a spot that's flat? We'll stay in the spots that, that's flat, we'll camp there, and we'll just, it'll just be, it'll just have to be fine. And I'm like, we've only gone about 500 of the 2,000. We can't get there because I don't think I have enough water for the both of us. So the issue with this terrain that was so steep, and then I'm going to move on, was that it was so steep that you couldn't find a true, like, solid reference point in terms of where you wanted to end up. And so we slowly start 10 minutes of hiking, 15 minutes of rest, 10 minutes of hiking, 15 minutes of rest, and we, a long, brutal hike became even longer and more brutal because we slowly deviated off of where we wanted to be because we couldn't find like a true point of reference. And sometimes in the mountains, you, you need to find a spot that is, is, is something that is distinguishable that you can just kind of set your sights on and walk. And so um, we didn't have that. And so this longer hike got longer, and my friend got tireder, and I just thought it was, we were just going to have to push the SOS and just have somebody come rescue us. Game over on the first day, we're, we're, we're out. A point of reference is so big because without one, you can get in a lot of trouble. You can actually get way, way, way off of the track that you intended on. We have to have something to look at that gives us the right perspective. We have to have something to keep our focus on and keep our mind on that never changes, that is constant. Much like a lighthouse. If you've ever seen the lighthouse, they're always lit, they're always in the same spot, and they always will let you know where you are in reference 
on a body of water. Like a lighthouse is a great example. But as I taught last week and this week, like we're asking this question, if Jesus had a church today, what would it look like? And I want to start by saying this and I kind of want to camp on this, this statement. If Jesus had a church today, the Bible would be our only point of reference for everything. If Jesus had a church today, the Bible would be the point of reference for everything. No matter the question, no matter the problem, no matter how big the circumstance, no matter how big the issue is, although this sounds extremely simple, the Bible should be our go-to for everything. We read earlier in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it begins with this prophecy that talks about what things are going to look like in the last days and how people are going to act and what their characteristics are going to be and all of the things they are going to be uh, terrible in the last days. People are going to be lovers of themselves and lovers of money and boastful and proud and abusive and disobedient to their parents and ungrateful and godly. And the list went on without love, slanderous, all of these things. And clearly these are like attributes, these are characteristics of of a group of people that we don't actually just want to be. These are undesirable things. And then he goes on in, in verse 14, and he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know the things in, from who you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are, pay attention to this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may thoroughly be equipped for every good work. So the first point that I want to make out of, out of these scriptures, the first things I want to draw to the scripture is the writer of these scriptures, he gives credit for scripture to make one wise. To make one wise. Not, not, not experience. Not advice not education, just the scripture, just the word. Because wisdom is not the result of long living. Wisdom is actually the result of distrusting God. It's the result of trusting God. Now I'm not saying like that you shouldn't listen to those that have gone before you, that those are, that, that are ahead of you in life. I'm not diminishing the value of life experience. In fact, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter three, Verse 13, that happy is the man who finds skillful and godly wisdom and the man who gets understanding, drawing it from God's word and from life experiences. So I'm not discounting life experience. Clearly, there's value for those things. I'm simply saying there's one key word in this next scripture that I want you to listen to, and it's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Do not depend on your own understanding. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he'll show you the path that you should take. Do not depend on your own understanding. Notice he says, seek his will in all that you do, in everything. That's everything. And he'll show you the path that you should take. So, seek his will in everything that you do. Not mom and dad's will. Not what mom and dad says. I'll get there in a second. Hold on. If you are like, whoa, you better chill out, bro. I got kids in this room and they will disobey me right now if you let them. Just kidding. Not mom and dad. Not what Uncle Rico says. Not what Oprah says. Some of you are like, Uncle Rico, 
Go watch Napoleon Dynamite, come back and tell me how good your life is afterwards, okay? Not what recent studies have shown, not what the most current parental Instagram influencer is saying on Instagram about what you should do with your kids, not the pressure from those around you that are telling you what you should or shouldn't do with your kids. No, the thing that has to be the thing that we depend on is him. It is he, it is God, it is scripture, it is the Bible. Plain and simple. All counsel and advice that you get in your life should be forced through the filter of the Bible before it's received as beneficial. As a born-again believer, as someone who's wanting to follow God, who's wanting to be a disciple, we have to take everything that anyone and everyone says. No exceptions asked. No exceptions made. And we have to take what they're saying about what we should do with our life and what we should do with our business and what we should do with our marriage and what we should do with our kids. Because if you haven't known this, and if you've never experienced this, even people that love you that don't know the Bible will lead you astray. And I'm, and I'm probably saying this in accuracy. That's not their intention. It's not. But if we have been given a bar to reach after, then we have to go to the standard that never changes, and that is the Scripture. So if what your mom and dad is saying, kids, lines up with Scripture, and yes, in the Bible it says that we ought to use a rod on our kids, so the kid's like, oh, we don't spank in our house because the kid's like, nope, we don't do spankings. I don't think that's in the Bible. It is in the Bible, kids, FYI. My daughter's like hiding over there. <laughs> if mom and dad says something and it matches scripture, then fantastic. If what Dr. Phil is saying matches the Bible, fantastic. If what your recent studies have shown and what your Instagram groups and your, and your groups on Facebook say match the scripture, fantastic. Then it's worth following. Then they're worth following. Then their advice is worth applying. If it doesn't do any of those things, you ought to pay really, really close attention to who you're following and what you're following. Because in their good intention and in their love, they still might lead you astray. The second thing that I'd like to bring out uh, from the scripture is that all scripture is God-breathed. It's all God-breathed. Yes, a man actually wrote the scripture, Yes, a man actually put it all into words and put it in to black and white for us, but it is inspired by God himself. And, and knowing this just reminds me of how amazing God is because God, the Bible is literally proof that God can take something that is truly imperfect and make something that is actually perfect. He could actually take an imperfect man inspired by his spirit inspired by the Holy Spirit and in, and in tune with the Holy Spirit and actually produce something that we have in the Bible that is very, very perfect. And I love that about God. The scriptures, they are perfect. They don't need to be added to. They don't need to be taken away from. The scriptures are timeless, meaning that they will work right now. They will work in this culture. They should be working in this culture. They should be applied to this culture. They are timeless, and the scriptures are inexhaustible, meaning you can't say them, you can't read them, and you can't think about them enough. The scriptures are always relevant, no matter what. I don't care what your life situation looks like. 
I don't care if you're saving money to live together until you get married. The scripture is still relevant. They are the answer to every single question that you have. They are the comfort that you couldn't find in humanity. The scriptures are perfect. The text that we, that we read, it concludes in this, in verse 16 of 2, uh, 2 Timothy chapter three. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may th- be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This means that the scriptures work on every single thing. Every single thing. Why is that? Because the scriptures, within the scriptures reside the supernatural power of God himself. That's why it works on every single thing. Because God works on every single thing. Anything that you're facing, anything that you're challenged with, any situation that you have, if you simply plug the character, the nature, and the word of God into that situation, it'll have to change. It can't stay the same. The moment that sin invaded the earth, God plugged Jesus into the equation of sin, and sin couldn't actually have the same result in our life once we believe in Jesus. Anytime that you apply God into your equation, it has, it has to change. The power to do something that is impossible is in the scripture. The power to fix something that seemed eternally broken is in the scripture. The power to restore something that seems lost forever is in the scripture. It is in God. Whether that's a relationship or a financial situation or an emotional situation or a physical situation or a psychological situation, everything that we need, everything that we need for life is found in God's word. God's supernatural power is in his word and he will perform his word in your life if you'll let him. I'm gonna close with this. Uh, John chapter one, this is one of the most, uh, I, I, I give people so many, like people come to me and they're like, where should I start reading the Bible? John chapter one. Just go to John chapter one and just start reading John chapter one. It says in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing that was created, nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. Notice that. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot extinguish it. God sent him in, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who would believe and and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or a plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. 
and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's only, the one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about. When I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance we have all received grace, one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. As I read this word and as we hear this word, something should become extremely clear to us. The word is powerful because the word is Jesus. If I asked you right now, do you believe that Jesus has the power to heal you? Or if I asked you, does Jesus have the power to save you? Or if I asked you, does Jesus have the power to be your provider? Does Jesus have the power to change your situation? You would probably say yes. I just don't know how confident we could say that about the scripture. I don't know how confidently we could answer the question, do I believe that the words in here could actually change my life? See, but you can't separate Jesus and his word. Because it said in the beginning was God, and so was the word, and it talks about how Jesus actually became flesh and dwelt among us. It's saying that Jesus is wrapped up in every single word that's in this Bible. That means that he resides and his power resides in every single word. The issue is this. If I don't know what is in here, I won't say what's in here. If I don't say what's in here, none of these words become powerful in my life. I don't get to obtain any blessing in here until I start letting this word become power from speaking it out. I can think about them and I can keep them locked up. The moment that I release a word is the moment that I release power in my life. Think about how God started all of this. It says that he, he created. He spoke things into existence is what we see in scripture, right? He had this thought that I want to make something happen in this dark abyss, and he spoke. Everything that you think pertaining to God, if it lines up with the scripture, the moment that you speak it, you actually give this the authority to perform itself in your life. It's very hard to make something work for me if I don't know what something says about me. And I will be tossed to and fro. I will be I will be launched from here and launched to there if I let everything around me tell me who I am and I never match it up with this thing right here. I could go down a long list of things and I bet you you could probably identify with them. Believing that you are a failure or believing that you aren't good enough or believing that you'll always figure out a way to mess something up or believing that if, if you just have enough time you'll make the same mistake that you made last year. We're conditioned to believe certain things about ourselves. This just says something different. If I don't know what this says about my life, and I don't know what this says over me, if I don't know what God spoke over me, 
I'll constantly line my beliefs up with something that is not godly. And slowly but surely, I'll start, I'll start destroying my godly identity from the inside out. But if I know this, if I know that this gives me a right to be favored, if I know that, that because of this and what Jesus did when he became flesh and dwelt among us, if I know those things, I'll understand that I have a right to be righteous. The word isn't powerful because it tells me what to do. It's powerful because it reveals to me what Jesus did for me. If I don't know what Jesus did for me, I'll keep trying to perform for God only to, let, only to be let down over and over and over because Jesus actually stood in a place that none of us could stand in. And the moment that I put my eyes and my faith on what Jesus did for me and it matches this word and I believe what Jesus did in this word for my life, I actually step into a place where I'm in right standing with God the Father. But if I don't know what it says, I'll never, I'll never believe it and I'll never activate it in my own life. This gives me the right and it tells me that I'm holy when I don't feel like it. It gives me the right to be blessed. It tells me that I have a right to be healed. It tells me that I have the right to be successful. It tells me that I have a right and that I am loved simply because Jesus is wrapped up in every single word of this book. Once again, if Jesus had a church today, if Jesus had a church today, the Bible would be our point of reference for everything. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.